many of you owned an original iPod? Like you know what that is, like the big brick, like you had that. Okay, uh, that's shocking. I'm surprised. I, I wouldn't have guessed. I, I thought the iPod kind of came out before uh, you guys. I thought y'all would have just kind of started with the iPhone. Um, there was no such thing as any of that when I was in uh, in high school or, or college. Um, and so when the iPod came out, um, we were just amazed by this thing. And so, um, but the problem was when the iPod came out, I was a lowly youth pastor making absolutely no money, okay? And, and, and here's how much, like just to give you a picture of, of how much money like we didn't have, okay? When, when Darby and I were getting married, uh, Darby asked me, because she knew I was going into ministry, she said, um, so how much money are we gonna make? And I'm like, babe, I, I have no idea. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna be in ministry and we're not going into ministry for the money or anything like that. Um, but she's like, but are we gonna have enough money? So this, this, so this gives you the picture of kind of where we're coming from and, and how much money we were thinking we wouldn't have. So by, by this question, she asked me, but are we gonna have enough money for me to get face wash? Like, I need face wash. I, I have to have face wash. And I'm like, babe, I, I, don't, I don't know. And it scared her to death because I was like, I don't know if you're going to have money to have face wash. Okay, so, so that's how much money uh, we, we, we didn't have. Okay, so when the iPod came out, it was in the first year that, that we were married. And um, I wanted to get my wife an iPod, but I, I didn't make any money. And so this was a huge deal. Okay, so I, I buy the iPod for her for her birthday. Okay, this is in the first year we're married. That summer, after we got married, okay, so it's been almost a year now, we go on a mission trip with our students. We go to southern Mexico, to Chiapas, down on the border of Guatemala, and, and we're on this mission trip, and so we're flying on these, uh, on, on these planes for a couple of hours, and uh, she's listening to her iPod. So we get to uh, San Cristobal, Chiapas, we, we had flown from uh, San Antonio to Mexico City uh, to San Cristobal Chiapas. And so we get off the plane, and, um, and Darby doesn't have her iPod. And we are freaking out, okay? Because, again, this is a ton of money to us, okay? So we're searching everywhere. Like, we went back into the plane. We're searching the seats. We're, we're, getting, we're on the ground. We're looking under the seats. We're looking between the seats. We are trying everything we can to find this iPod. We're asking the, the airline people. We're at the counter. We're, we're asking, has anyone turned in the iPod? You know, no, no. So, so we're asking another person and another person, and we're asking people that were on the plane with us, hey, did you see this iPod? Because we had to find this iPod. So we were searching everywhere. We asked all of our students, because we all know uh, the, the youth kids, church kids are thieves. And so, so we were asking them, um, have you seen, do you have Darby's iPod? Did you take her iPod? You know, so we're, we're searching everywhere trying to find this iPod. And the whole time, Darby is just crying. Like she's, she's got tears in her eyes because we're searching frantically for this iPod. We can't find it. She knows how much money it is. She's feeling like guilty because this birthday present that I got for her that she knew cost us so much money, we couldn't find it. But we were searching everywhere for this iPod. I mean, every little nook and cranny, we were searching, trying to find this iPod. Well, there was a guy by the name of David, King David in the Bible, who prayed, who prayed this dangerous prayer, God, search me, search me. And he said, God, test me, search me and test me. Now, can you imagine 
if how well Darby and I were searching for that iPod, can you imagine inviting God to search you? I mean, we're talking about God. He, he knows all. He, he sees all. He knows everything about you. And so David prayed, God, search me and test me. Now, some of you are like, okay, listen, that's fine. That's, that's David. Okay, that's King David. Like, that's the guy that killed Goliath. Okay, that's the guy that's known as a man after God's own heart. Like, for David to pray that, is that really that big of a deal? Like, God, you, uh, King David, search me and, and know me and, and test me. Is that really that big of a deal? Well, let's not forget, David is also the same man who committed adultery and had the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with murdered. And so when David makes this prayer, he knows full well his own sin and how he has strayed and how he has turned from God. But in spite of his sin, in spite of his failings, he has this dangerous prayer, God, search me. Search me. And I want you to see what led to this prayer, Psalm 139. If you got your Bible, Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone. Uh, just pull it up in your browser, RaiderChurch.com. Uh, select message notes and you can follow along with us. The verses are there for you. Psalm 139. This is a prayer of David. And we're going to have to see some things, though, before we get to this dangerous prayer. Like there's a lot of things that we have to understand before we're going to make this same dangerous prayer that David made. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at some of the most dangerous and life-changing prayers in the Bible, and we're making those prayers our prayers. We're internalizing those prayers, and we're making those prayers our prayers. Because when you make these prayers that we're going through in this series your prayer, like when you own this prayer, I promise you, it will change your life. And that's our hope in this series, that you will make these three prayers, your prayer. But before we get to the dangerous prayer tonight, before David gets to the dangerous prayer, there's several things you have to understand that you have to realize before you make the dangerous prayer. So let's get going. Psalm 139, starting in verse one, it says this, David prays, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and watch this. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. So let's stop right here. David before he gets to the dangerous prayer, he, you, you got to understand something. And David understood this about God, that you are fully known. You are fully known. And some of you are like, bro, Clayton, um, that's not helping anything. Like God fully knowing everything about me, everything I say before I even say it, everything in my heart, everything that I've ever done. Like God knowing that about doesn't make me feel too good about coming to God and praying, like him knowing every single thing about me, that's kind of a scary thought, that God knows everything you've ever done and ever thought, everything. 
every whisper, everything you almost said, but you, you kept to yourself because you had that, that filter that said, nope, nope, you can't say that. Don't, don't, you can't say that publicly. Every word you've ever whispered about someone else. Every picture that's gone through your mind. God knows it. You are fully known. You know, last week, we were getting ready for Raider Church, and probably about 30 minutes before we started, my wife sends me this text. And she says, on the way home, um, Levi would not stop talking about his hair. And so he said, he told, he told the, the, the car, like my, 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 my kids and, and my wife, he said, Mom, um, I, I love my hair. Like, it's my favorite thing about me. And then he said this, I, I cherish it more than anything else about me. And Darby texted me and she texted me and she told me what he said and I was, I was laughing. And then I saw the, the dot, 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 you know, the, the, the text that's about to come right after that. And I, so I can tell she's about to text me something else. And the next thing that comes up is he is 100,000% your son. <laughs> well, what's so funny? My wife knows me. She knows me backwards and forwards. She knows me inside out. She knows that I had a shoe cleaning kit in junior high, okay? You, you don't know that about me, but my wife knows that about me. She knows, like, I had this kit with a squirt bottle and toothbrush and, and a towel and all this stuff, that if my shoes got dirty, I would get out that kit and I would clean my shoes. She knows me. She knows everything about me. She knows I had these massive Arthur-style glasses through junior high. You didn't know that about, but she knows that about me. She knows all everything. Yet God knows me even better. God knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. He knows you. You are fully known. And that can be a scary thought when you're dealing with a holy, righteous, and perfect God, knowing every single thing you've ever done. At first glance, like at first thought, it kind of makes us shy away from God. Like, God knows everything about me. It tends to make us run from God, not run towards God. It tends to make us want to hide from God rather than come to God. And David knew this. Yet he prayed the, the dangerous prayer we're going to get to later anyways. And you'll see why. But before we get to the good news, it gets even worse. Okay? If you thought this was bad, it, it gets even worse. Okay? So let's go to the next verse. Okay? So we're, we're going to verse 7. David says this, I can never escape from your spirit. So you know everything about me, and I can never escape you. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. So David says, I, I, I can't go anywhere where, where, where you're not there. You know everything about me, and not only that, I, I can't get away from you. So I can run as far as I want to run, I can go as high as I, I, I can go. I can go as low as I could possibly go. And I can't get away from you, God. You see, here's the second thing that David understood. You cannot hide 
from God. You cannot hide from him. You're not hiding from God in your apartment when no one's there. You're not hiding from God in your dorm room when your roommate's gone. You're not hiding from God at work. You're, you're not hiding from God on that date. You're not hiding from God when, when you're in class. You're not hiding from God when you're at Chimmy's or Bar PM or anywhere else. God sees you. In fact, God would say about Israel in Isaiah, you act like I can't see you. You're, you're living your life as if I can't see you, that I don't know what you're doing. You can't hide from me. And God would say to the prophet Isaiah, he would say, the godly know that they cannot run from my presence. I see everything they're doing. And those who are godly, God would tell Isaiah, understand this. They realize this. They know that they cannot hide from me. They know and believe that I see everything they're doing. You know, if you've ever played hide and seek with kids before, you, you, you see how silly it is when a child goes and thinks they're hiding, right? I mean, they'll hide under a coffee table or under a chair or, or, or behind a corner, and, and, and they think they're hiding, but, but you, like, you can totally see them. Their hands or, or their head or their feet are hanging out, and, and when you come up, when you even get very close to them, they start snickering and talking, and, and, and you know where they are. They think they're hidden, but you know exactly where they are. You cannot hide from God. So see, it gets worse. God knows you. You can't hide from him. He knows everything you've ever done. And when you're all by yourself and, and no one's with you, or when you think it's just in your, in your mind and, and no one knows what you're thinking, you, you cannot hide from God. And so I know some of you are like, uh, bro, this isn't helping me pray the dangerous prayer, like that God knows everything and I can't hide from him. Well, here's where the good news comes in. And here's why, in spite of David's past, in spite of his flaws, in spite of the huge things that David got wrong, here's why David still prayed the dangerous prayer. Psalm 139, verse 13. David says this, You know me, I can't hide from you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. And then watch what, what David says about God. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So David says, you, you know me, I, I can't hide from you. And here David says, 
Even though you know me, I can't hide from you. And you knew everything I was going to do before I ever did it. You knew the words that I was going to say before I even spoke them. David says, you made me anyways. You made me anyways. You know, the Bible says in, in Genesis that God made everything by the power of his word. He spoke things into existence, and they happened in an instant. God spoke all of creation, the entire universe. He spoke into creation out of nothing. But when it came to you, when it came to man, go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says that God formed man with his hands out of the dust of the earth. In other words, God took great care and concern to make you with his very hands. He spoke everything else into existence, but with man, with woman, it was different. He formed them with his own hands like a potter, like an artist, like a sculptor. He sculpted his workmanship, his art. And so David says, you, you know me, I, I'm fully known by you, God. I can't hide from you, but here's what's also true at the exact same time. You are fully loved. This is what David understood. He got this, which is why we're going to get to the dangerous prayer here in just a second. But David knew that he was fully known, yet fully loved at the exact same time. God knew everything I've ever done. He knows everything I'm going to do. Yet he loves me anyways at the exact same time. You are fully known by God, yet at the same time, you are fully loved. You know, when we were having our each child, you go to these doctor's appointments where you get this ultrasound done. And so they squirt this gel on my wife's belly, and um, it is a belly at this point. It's and so they, they squirt this gel and they take out this wand and, and they move it over her stomach. And they're, they're trying to find this little child, tiny. At, at the very first, it's smaller than, than the, the top of your tongue, I mean, of your, of your thumb. And so they're, they're trying to, to find the, the, the baby in the womb and they're moving this wand all over the place and then they finally find it. And at, at a certain point in, in the pregnancy, when, when they find the baby, you start to hear this sound. They flip this switch and you can hear something. And we're, we're watching, we're, we're watching the monitor and, and we're seeing the inside of, uh, of Darby's womb and, and we're seeing it and we're watching this unfold. And when they find the baby, then you, could, you can see the, the baby there in the mother's womb. And then you hear this. It's the heartbeat. You can see, it's amazing. 
You can see inside the mother's womb, you can see this baby being formed, and you can hear its heart beating. It will be the most amazing, will be one of the most amazing moments in your life. With each child at that moment, you're watching and you're seeing this this unfold on this monitor. And with each child, that moment, it never got old. After with the first child, and after the second child, and even on our third child, it never got old. Seeing the inside. In fact, they they print out the pictures, and and you take this long you know thing, a printout of uh, uh, pictures, and you keep them, and and you hold on to them, and you're just you keep looking at them, and you keep staring at them until the next appointment. But one of the most amazing things you will ever see in this life is when that monitor comes up and you hear that sound of that heart beating and you know it's your child and it will give you chills. It did for me each time. And each time we would tear up. Hearing the heartbeat of our child. We had two boys in a row, and Coben, my our second, was the the eighth boy in a row on my side of the family. We hadn't had a Walker born girl since like 1950. I mean, it was it was forever, okay? So on that third child. We see this picture, we hear this heartbeat. And then they told my wife and I that we were having a girl. And we didn't believe it. And they checked again and they told us that we were having a girl and we just sat there and cried. Because to us it was a miracle. It was the same with each child. We never got over it. Getting to see inside the womb over and over and over again all throughout the course of that pregnancy. David says, God, you watched me. You were watching. You saw me as I was being formed in seclusion. You were watching. You were listening. You heard my heartbeat. David says, with your hands, you, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You are fully loved by a father who knew everything you were going to do in your life, knew every way you were going to mess up, knew every way you were going to screw up, and formed you and knit you together and watched you every day in your mother's womb before you were ever born. That's how much he loves you. You are fully loved despite everything you've ever done and everything you're going to do. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are God's masterpiece. That's the word it uses. For we are God's masterpiece. It's the Greek word poema, which means God's supreme artistic Achievement. It's not the sun. It's not earth. It's not some distant universe. 
as huge and, and as amazing as those things are, when we, when we look at the, the universe and, and how vast it is and all the planets and the solar systems and all those things, those are not God's supreme artistic achievement. It's you. You are God's supreme artistic achievement. You are his poema. You're his masterpiece. You are fully A few weeks ago, we got this invitation for Levi to do this thing called cotillion. How many of you know, y'all know what cotillion is? Are you, okay. Um, so cotillion is this thing basically where you go and, and learn how to like treat a girl. Like if you're a guy, that's kind of the way it, it's built. Okay. So you go and you learn how to treat a girl and you learn how to, you know, talk and you learn about silverware and you learn about, you know, how to um, open doors and how to, you know, eat in this proper way and how to be respectful and all these different things. So we're telling Levi, hey, Levi, we got this invitation. Um, we think this would be good for you to do. And he does not want to do it. He, 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 I mean, we're like, but you can learn how to like dance and how to dance with a girl. And he's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And um, we're like, but Levi, we, we think it would be good for you. We like, you'll, you'll learn how to do all these different things and, and you'll learn like about, you know, manners and how to, how to talk and how to, how, how to treat a girl. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to do it. And we're like, Levi, because you have to do this sometimes as parents. Um, we think you're going to do it anyway. Like, we know you don't want to do it, but... You just need to know, like as your parents, we think this is best for you. We think this could help you. And so you're going to do it. Like that's just all there is to it. And so he, he is destroyed by this. I mean, he can't even believe it. And so it doesn't take about, about a week. And he's asking us over and over and over again, am I going to do cotillion? And we're like, yeah, we, we already talked about that. Like it's happening. And so he was so upset about this. And we asked him, we said at one point, Levi, why are you so upset about going to Cotillion? And he said, it's because you don't think I'm respectful. You don't think I have any manners. I said, Levi, no, that's not it. That's not it. And so we began to explain to him again why we thought it would be good for him and that all his friends were doing it. Levi was so upset about this we had no idea. We, we were on our way to Austin for a family vacation and it came up again and, and Levi said, he goes, Dad, you know, when y'all told me I was gonna have to go to Cotillion, he said, about a week ago, I thought I had thoughts, I'll, I'll just run away. We were like, Levi, my gosh, why didn't you tell us? I mean, Cotillion must be really bad. Or at least the, the stories among the fourth graders are really jacked up about what Cotillion is. So, He's telling us he's going to run away. And we said, Levi, why would you do that? You're, you're our son. We love you. We would be destroyed. We would be scared to death if you ran away. The reason he was thinking those thoughts is because he thought he had messed up so much that he was so disrespectful or he didn't have enough manners that we didn't value him or, or even love him anymore. He had internalized that, that self-doubt and that negative thinking so much that he didn't think that we saw him in the same way anymore. 
We said, Levi, you could never do anything that would change our love for you. We love you. In spite of everything that he's ever done. In spite of everything that he's going to do. Regardless of the the heartbreak that can come from from having kids and and the way that you you ache and, and you fear for everything that they do. We would do it over and over and over again because we love our kids. It doesn't matter what they've done in spite of everything that we've done, in spite of how much we know about our kids, we know everything about them, yet we fully love them anyways. Tib Keller said it like this. He said, you are more sinful than you ever dare imagine. And, watch this, at the same time, you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. You are more sinful and evil than you could ever possibly imagine, yet at the exact same time, you are more loved and accepted by your Father in heaven than you could ever dare hope. You are fully known, yet you are fully loved. And so in light of that love from our heavenly father, David prays a dangerous prayer. But here's what you got to understand. The prayer that he prays now in these next verses is completely based on the fact that he completely understands that he's fully known, that he can't hide from God. Yet in spite of all of that, he is fully loved in spite of all of those things. And so he's coming to his father who knows him and loves him and he believes wants what's best for him. And then he prays a dangerous prayer. Watch this. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David knows that in spite of his adultery, in spite of murder, and knowing that God has seen all of those things, and yet fully loves him anyways, in spite of being an adulterer, in spite of being a murderer, he still prays to his heavenly father, who he knows loves him fully, and says, search me, God, know me, test me, point out anything in me that you don't like, and then lead me. Search me, know me, test me, lead me. David prays this prayer because of this. Watch, he says, point out my offensive way so I don't miss out on your everlasting way. David's praying, Point out the things in my life that offend you, God. Point out my offensive ways so that I can be led into your everlasting way. In other words, what David's saying is my best is on the other side of your correction in my life. David can 
pray this prayer because he believes his heavenly father who fully loves him only has his best at heart and in mind. And so he prays, God, test me, know me, lead me, point out all the things in me that you are offended by, God, because I know on the other side of that, on the other side of conviction, on the other side of that pain that will come from the offense that's in my life, is your best, is your everlasting way. And so some of you are here tonight and you've made a habit out of when your life doesn't measure up to God's word. You run. Instead of embracing the conviction, God pointing out the offensive thing in your life, and embracing that and saying, yes, Lord, you're, you're offended by that, then so am I. And I will run from that sin and follow your lead into your everlasting way. That's been true, but tonight I believe it's going to be different. And from now on, you're going to pray a dangerous prayer. God, search me, know me, test me, and everything that offends you in my life, you will give me the power to change. You see, you aren't going to experience life change if you get defensive when God points out the things in your life that he's offended by. You're just going to continue in the same habits, in the same ruts, with the same pain, with the same regret, with the same consequences. But if you could pray a dangerous prayer, because you are confident of God's love for you, and you could say, point it out, God. Point out the things in me that offend you. And then give me the strength and the power to change. Lead me. I'll experience your best. You've got to quit running from God. You, you, you got to get you got to quit getting so defensive when God points out something in your life that, that doesn't measure up to his word. What we tend to do is bring God's word down to our level of experience. We rationalize and we excuse. When instead. We should be raising our experience to the standard of Scripture. And as God points out things in our life, when we read God, when we read God's word, and we're confronted with things in our life that God is offended by, instead of making excuses or getting defensive or running from that confrontation, we embrace it. And if you could begin to embrace the confrontation rather than run from it, you will experience God's best, his everlasting way. And I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert right now. This is what God uses the marriage relationship for as well. Some of you, 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 you can't wait to be married. In fact, I, you, you post about it every day. Like, I can't wait for this day, and, and this is what it's going to be like, and, and we're going to have our dogs, and, and we're going to have our, our Land Rover, and we're going to be living in this house, and, and, and we're going to be having the fire going, and we're going to be watching Netflix and The Office and all those kinds of things. And listen, some of that's true, okay? You, you, you can Netflix and chill every night when you're married, and there's nothing wrong with it, okay? It's awesome, okay? 
But, but, spoiler alert, when you get married, you are walking into confrontation. Like, if, if you thought you've been in confrontation before, you are walking in to the biggest confrontation you could possibly imagine. Because you are entering into a relationship with someone who's going to get to know you. Like, everything about you. And everything they thought was cute before is now annoying. I'm just telling you, okay? When you walk into this marriage relationship, you will get to know this person. You will be fully known. And then here's the next part that's even scarier. There's nowhere to hide. You're in the same house. You know all the hiding spots, okay? There's nowhere to hide. That person knows where you work. They know where you like to eat. They know the things you do for fun. There's no hiding from that person. You're fully known. You can't hide from them. But here's the thing about marriage, when I say you're walking into a confrontation, it's not so much with your spouse. Here's the confrontation. Marriage does not so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as it is confronting you with yourself. When you get married, as you do life with this other person who knows you fully, and you begin to know them fully. It begins to point out all your weaknesses and flaws and selfishness like you could never possibly imagine. Listen, I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. I had no idea how committed to my own comfort I was until I got married. And then it happened again with the first child. And then it happened again with the second child. And then it happened again with the third child. It never stops. God uses the marriage relationship to confront you with yourself. And so if you think it's all going to get better after you get married, like if you think it's all going to be okay and marriage will fix everything, it will over time as you are confronted with yourself, your own selfishness, your own flaws, your own sin. here's the beautiful thing about the marriage relationship is that it's supposed to be a picture of our relationship with God and that as you get to know this person like you've never known them before and you know them inside and out and there's nowhere to go because it's in death until you part okay that hasn't been a lot of our experiences, but that's the standard of scripture. It's till death do us part. There's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to hide. You're also in that same relationship with someone who loves you. And through Christ in them and Christ in you, you will know each other fully, yet at the same time, you will love each other fully. And if Christ is in you and Christ is in your spouse, you will begin to see your marriage used in the same way to 
purify you, to cleanse you. That's why it says in Ephesians 5 that the marriage relationship, that a part of the, what happens in the marriage relationship is that you're washed with the word. It's the same picture that in a marriage relationship, it's like through that confrontation and through the grace of the gospel being lived out in your life and in your spouse's life, it washes you, it cleanses you, it brings healing. Because the person who knows you the best loves you the most at the exact same time. And so you have a choice. You can choose about marriage. You can, you can think that you'll just find someone who just loves you as you are and never wants you to change. But that's not God's will for your life. That's not the marriage relationship. It's not about finding someone who will love you as you are and, and never expect or see change. That's not what God do, uses the marriage relationship for. Or you could think, I'm just gonna find someone who's perfect and, and without flaws. Sorry, my wife and I are already taken, okay? You're not gonna find that person, all right? Or you can agree with what God says the marriage relationship is for and that God uses your marriage to turn you into a new person. To cleanse you, to wash you, to purify you. You see, when you, when you come to Jesus, when you come here, you come as you are. When Jesus invited Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, he came right up to Matthew in the midst of his sin. Matthew was a tax collector and he was taking money from people and he was basically stealing from people. And, and Jesus walks up to Matthew in the midst of his sin. And he says, Matthew, follow me. He didn't tell Matthew, hey, Matthew, stop doing all this stuff. Go, go give all this money back. Uh, go clean up your life. Go fix your life first and then come follow me. No, no, no. Jesus walks up to Matthew in the midst of his sin and says, come follow me. You come to Jesus. You can come here into this place as you are. You don't fix yourself you don't clean yourself up. And you will find Jesus right in the midst of your sin and your failures. Jesus will say, he will call out to you and he will say, come. As I think he's telling many of you tonight, come, follow me. And I will lead you in my everlasting way. You come as you are, but watch this, you don't stay that way. You don't stay that way. You see, Matthew decided to follow Jesus, and when he did, Jesus went to his house, and, and they had this party, and, and Matthew invited all of his friends to come and to meet Jesus, this guy who changed his life. And then Matthew would follow Jesus, would begin to preach about Jesus, and would ultimately give his life for Jesus. You come as you are, but you don't stay that way. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 3, he said, those who continue to live in sin and take advantage of the cross of Christ, their judgment is deserved. 
In other words, you don't come to Jesus, you don't come to the cross, and then just continue to flippantly live in sin like it's no big deal. That shows that you've never really given your life to Jesus in the first place. And so Paul says their judgment is deserved. What he's talking about there is the punishment for sin. The judgment for sin. The penalty for sin. Eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Paul would go on to write in Romans 3. And he would say, we've all sinned. But for those who put their faith in Jesus, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood for them, when they believe, at that moment, your sin is forgiven, you're made right with God, and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Paul said it like this in Romans 3. He said, when you believe, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine through his death on the cross, you are made righteous, right with God. Some of you here tonight, you've never made that decision. And you know you haven't because your life didn't change. Sure, you may have been baptized. You you may have prayed a prayer. You you may have been going to church. you, You may have been doing some of the right things. But your life wasn't changed. And you don't have this burning desire in you to follow God and to worship God and to live for God. You don't have that burning passion inside of you. And if you don't, then you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you went through the motions of something. Maybe you got sprinkled or baptized as a a child. Those things don't save you. Paul writes in Romans 3, very clear. We're made right with God. We're made righteous when we believe. When we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood for us. And so some of you here tonight, you need to make that decision. Give your life to Jesus. And by faith, you'll be made right with God. You know, David prayed a dangerous prayer. And my challenge for you tonight is this, is to invite the investigation. Invite it. Pray, ask God, God, search me, know me, test me. And if there's anything offensive in my life that you don't like, point it out. Point it out. I'm not going to be defensive. I'm going to embrace the confrontation. So this week, invite the investigation. Get alone with God. Spend some time in prayer and ask God, search me, God. Know me. What, What in my life offends you? And whatever it is, lead me away from it so I can experience your best. And we invite the investigation because here's why. When we pray, God changes us. Last week we said when we pray, God fights for us. This week, when we pray, God changes us from the inside out. So let's do that now. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and and here's what I want to invite you to do right now is just invite that investigation. Say, God, search me, know me, test me. And if there's anything offensive in my life, point it out. Would you point it out right now, God? Speak to me, God, tonight about anything that offends you. And then give me the the strength 
to turn from that sin, to turn from those things that offend you, God, and then lead me in your everlasting way to your best. And God, we believe that we can pray that prayer with confidence and with assurance because you know us fully, yet you love us fully at the same time. team's going to begin to lead us in worship and I just want you to continue to pray. Tonight's more reflection and just asking God, God, search me. Every part of my life, nothing's off limits. You see it anyway. Search me. Test me. And as you feel led to sing, to stand in a worship, you can do that. You can stand up begin to worship as you feel led, but continue to make that your prayer. Invite the investigation. Search me, God. Test me. Point out my offensive way so that I can experience and live your everlasting way. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, for it's li- how it's living and active. God, speaks to us and it changes us. And so in this moment, God, as we pray and as we worship, change us through the power of the Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out.